You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome everybody, happy Monday to you, and happy week number 12, fantasy week number 12. Uh, this is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball, and I'm your host, Al Melchior. Big, big show today, lots of news, lots of uh, interesting performances to break down, but that's really just the start. We've got John Heyman in the house. He's going to be uh, dropping in on the show in a little while and talk about the trade market, which, uh, you know, it's coming upon us. Just a little more than a month away from the uh, trade deadline. So time to start thinking about who might be on the move, who might be replacing players on the move. John's going to help us break all that down. And it's always great to have John on the show. And uh, also, uh, you you really came through with the uh, lineup questions. I solicited them on Twitter. Got a whole bunch. Going to try to answer every single one. By the end of the show, so uh, if you submitted a question, stick around. If you didn't, you know, there's a lot of good questions there, so uh, you might benefit from the questions of others. But on to the news, uh, Lance McCullers is expected to make a start, be activated from the DL this weekend, and uh, make that start against the Mariners. So if you've got him on your DL, looks like it is safe to take him off and get him in your rotation. Not Quite as much for his teammate Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Keuchel is expected to play catch today, but appears he's a little bit behind McCullers in terms of his readiness to come off of the DL. Already off of the DL is Araldus Chapman. He was activated yesterday, Sunday, and came in, pitched the eighth inning for the Yankees in the game that they were down by a run, so basically just getting Chapman reacclimated and uh, pitched a, a scoreless inning. Uh, but I think uh, maybe the thing that drew even more attention was the fact that it was Sean Doolittle who then came in the ninth for the A's uh, to get the save, not Santiago Casilla, although uh, reports then came out subsequent to the game that Casilla was uh, still unavailable. He had been hit by a, a foul ball while he was staying near the dugout. Uh, he did not uh, he was not available on Saturday and, and then was not available again on Sunday. So I would not read too much into that uh, Doolittle appearance. But uh, there is a lot going on in terms of closers. Uh, Mark Melanson with uh, a performance that was not helpful to his uh, fancy owners. We'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, And as I mentioned, we we have John Heyman on. We've got your lineup questions. We've got a lot more news to get you ready for your uh, Week 12 lineups. So uh, all that is uh, coming up in just a bit. And um, moving on with the weather forecast, looks like uh, for most games it should be fine. Just a little bit uh, of of rain chance uh, at the Orioles and at the Braves. It's Giants and Braves, Indians and Orioles. So uh, that's something to look out for. Anyway, we'll check back in on that later on. Stick around. Lots to come. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball, and I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, we've got some uh, lineup news to get to, a little bit of breaking injury news as well. But before we get to any of that, I need to tell you about the world's premier 24-7 fantasy sports radio network app. You can take it with you wherever you go. Download the Fantasy Sports Radio app right now on the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata while you're on the treadmill. You can hear Benny Riccardi in your car or Greg Sussman while you're on the subway or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley while you're out jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fantasy Sports Radio app for free right now in the iTunes Store or on Google Play and take the experts with you. So to the lineup news, and it's really sort of combination lineup news and uh, just general fantasy news, Uh, The Reds and Rays lineups are out. That's at uh, Tampa Bay under the Dome in St. Pete. And for the Reds, Jesse Winker has been called up, and he's taking the DH spot there uh, in the AL Park. So I would imagine this is probably just a temporary call-up for Winker, but uh, he is there. And also, no Zach Cozart. Cozart's been placed on the DL with the strained quad. So uh, that means that you've got Jose Peraza shifting over from second to short and Scooter Jeanette back in the lineup at second base. Um, So there are your early lineup developments. And uh, let's see, uh, getting back to some of the other news. uh, I had mentioned before that uh, Lance McCullers may be back for this weekend. That also appears to be the case for Felix Hernandez. He is expected to start Friday against the Astros. So uh, I, you know, in in, say a 12 team mixed league, I would definitely take the wait and see approach with Hernandez who hadn't been all that effective before going on the DL. I think you can afford, uh, you know, unlike with McCullers where I think you got to get him right back in your rotation. I think with Hernandez outside of the deeper leagues, uh, you might as well keep him benched. If you have the room, Uh, Cole Hamels, we don't have to wait too long for his return either, but you definitely, should not start him for week 12. He will be making a rehab start on Wednesday. So the earliest uh, we could see him back would be a week from today. Uh, but that is the expectation, actually, is that this will probably be Hamill's last rehab start this week. But uh, come Wednesday, Thursday, need to check back in on that situation and see maybe you can use Hamill's for, uh, for week uh, 13. And it's just creeping up on us almost halfway through the season already. Lurie Garcia is going to be placed on the 10-day disabled list, according to CSN Chicago. He has uh, the sprained finger on his left hand. And we had Dennis Lynn on the show on Sunday and got some uh, injury news from him regarding the Padres. And then uh, Dennis went out on on Twitter and confirmed Manny Margot is going to start his AAA rehab today. So we could see Margot, just as Dennis talked about on the show, uh, we could see Manny Margot uh, back in the Padres lineup perhaps later this week. And Trevor Cahill is scheduled to face live hitters this Thursday, so he's definitely not going to be ready as soon as this week. But we may not be too far from seeing the return of Trevor Cahill. So a couple of pieces of good Padres news there. So moving on to the uh, more noteworthy performances from Sunday, and there was none 
I think no, more noteworthy just in terms of you know the wow factor than Nolan Arenado hitting for the cycle and completed the cycle with a walk-off home run against the Giants. So uh, definitely a dramatic performance for Arenado. I'm not sure that that's going to change anybody's mind in terms of fantasy value because he's one of the top performers, consistently so. But uh, a, a great performance from Arenado. I think it's really the other side of that walk-off home run where you actually had the fantasy impact because it was Mark Melanson who gave that up, uh, blowing his fourth save of the season. And Melanson has been one of the steadiest, best, most consistent closers over the last few years. Uh, he spent a little bit of time on the DL earlier this year, and he just has really not been himself. I mean, already four blown saves, now a 5.09 ERA. But the number that sticks out for me for Melanson, you have to dig a little bit more into the batted ball profile. He has a 17% soft contact rate, which is not terribly alarming for most pitchers until you realize that the way that Melanson has had so much success over the last three, four, five seasons has been not by racking up a ton of strikeouts. He's been really, as far as closers go, probably a little below average as a strikeout pitcher, but uh, inducing just a lot of soft contact. In fact, last year, that rate was up to 30%, which is super high. But that, that's how he's really, he's gotten it done, avoiding the extra base hits, uh, having pretty good control. So almost, a, you know, more of a finesse approach to being a lockdown closer. And that aspect of his game just hasn't been there this year. So, uh, you, you know, in a, a situation right now where, there's nobody really emerging as a clear closer and waiting. Derek Law is somebody, I think, to, to make a speculative pickup on. And, I mean, he's certainly not alone. I mean, you've got Eni Romero, who I talked about on Sunday's show, who looks like he might have a shot at picking up some more saves for the Nationals. Um, who knows what's going on in Philadelphia? Hector Neris blew another save. But uh, I think you got to add Derek Law to that short list of uh, closers and waiting that are worth a little bit of a bit. And particularly right now, I, I doubt that Mark Melanson is showing up on too many owner's radars, somebody that they're they're really freaking out about. So, uh, you know, Law, Law pitched uh, you know pretty well as a replacement for Melanson when he was on the DL. So that's something I would certainly look into doing. And also speaking of some closer intrigue, Cody Allen, two consecutive games over the weekend, did not pitch the ninth inning. Now, on Saturday, it wasn't a save situation, but you had uh, the reverse of the typical uh, sequence where you got Andrew Miller coming in uh, and then Cody Allen in the ninth, so that was flipped. And then again on Sunday, when there was a save situation at Minnesota, you had Allen coming in in the eighth inning and Andrew Miller getting his first save of the season. And then after the game, uh, it was reported that Cody Allen actually volunteered to temporarily give up the closer's role to help uh, Terry Francota manage Andrew Miller's innings. And he's pitched a lot of innings. He's pitched a lot of high-stress, high-leverage innings. So I know it seems crazy that <laughs> that's the way you would manage it. It actually makes sense, though. So instead of you know going in there for one and two-thirds, two innings, uh, you know, uh, facing uh, very, very good hitters, uh, now, you know, you're going to see Andrew Miller coming in in a save situation. Still, in most cases, probably facing some good hitters, but, um, you know, probably just an inning at a shot. So strange situation, one I don't recall really seeing before where a closer 
sort of uh, uh, takes a, a, a breather from the role in order to spare somebody else uh, some workload. But uh, this is what you've got going on in Cleveland. But also in that game, you had Edwin Encarnacion sort of you know buried behind that headline with a two homer game. So he's now up to a total of 16 home runs on the season. Uh, Encarnacion three for four in that game. And he was not alone in the two-homer club. You also had Xander Bogarts doubling up his season home run total, going from two to four against the Astros in a three-hit game. You had Logan Morrison tacking two on to his season total. He hit two against the Tigers. That gives Morrison 21 on the season. And that, you know, if it weren't for the fact that I know that there's so many really good, really enticing first base options out there, it would seem really, really weird that Morrison isn't universally owned. Uh, so I get it. And yet, if you need a, a first bla- a first base upgrade, uh, Morrison is out there. And uh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's certainly as good as, or has been as good. I think he will continue to be as good as, uh, you know, many others who are, are more widely owned. Stephen Piscotti, also with a two-homer game at Camden Yards. And that takes his total up to six on the season. So he's been a little behind, or actually more than a little behind his normal home run pace. Uh, and I've, I've talked about before on the show, I think Piscotti's been a good uh, by-low candidate. So I do think that there's going to be more power to come from Piscotti. You've got you know quite a few underachievers in the Cardinals lineup. So I think that his across-the-board numbers should be improve from this point going forward and that said i've gotten some lineup questions uh, about piscotti and there have been uh some cases where i have recommended to sit him or i think there was even one where i recommended to drop him uh you know but it was more three outfielder league type uh of, of situation for him um so you know that said i mean you know i, I think there's better to come for piscotti but not necessarily, you know, a must-own guy in some of the shallower formats. And Trey Turner had a huge game. Uh, one for three with a walk, which doesn't sound huge, but he made the most of it, getting four stolen bases. He's now up to 26 on the season. And just as a reminder in terms of playing the stolen base matchups, that um, all four of those stolen bases came off of Travis Darnot. So uh, not much has changed there in terms of the Mets' ability and Darno's in particular to throw out base runners. So anyways, we will be right back with John Heyman. Really looking forward to that. You're going to want to stick around. Welcome back, everyone. This is Banrag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melker, and it is time for today's guest, very special guest, also from FanRag Sports, Mr. John Heyman. John, welcome back to the show. It's great to be back, Al. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, and I feel like it's a good time to have you back. You, you just, uh, in your most recent Inside Baseball piece, you know, you were saying that we don't really hear a lot about uh, the trade market until after the draft. Well, here we are. You know, the draft uh, <laughs> completed last week, and uh, you had a lot of interesting bits in that uh, column. So I, I want to uh, bring out some of those those items. Uh, first of all, when when can we ex- start to expect some trade movement? Uh, because I know there's always a big flurry the last couple of days before the the deadline. Do we have to wait that long, or do you think things will happen sooner? <laughs> 
Well, things could always happen sooner. We we remember Sabathia in 2008 trading traded pretty early to uh, Milwaukee. Um, there are guys occasionally traded um, even late May, early June, mid June. It does happen on occasion. I think uh, generally the average is that. Uh, uh, about half the trades or more than half the trades occur the last two days of July. It just takes a deadline to get people going sometimes. So um, almost all the activity happens in the last half of July, though. So uh, we are still uh, probably close to four weeks away from real big activity, but there will be a trade here and there, and there certainly is a lot of talk going on now and a lot of speculation. All right. Well, yeah, now's the time to get to that is, you know, we in, in fantasy, we try to position ourselves to take advantage of that. And it seems like a lot of the big names that might move would be closers. And there's a clear need with the Nationals who have not been able to really uh, solidify their situation all season long. Uh, what does the market look like now? And uh, who in particular would you expect if there is a front runner? To land with well, the, the name we've heard all along with the Nats is David Robertson. I would think that would be the name that you will hear the most. We will see. They obviously weren't able to work it out um, at the winter meetings or around that time. Uh, they came close. Uh, a couple of prospects, uh, Lefty Luzardo and uh, an infielder Ward, were discussed eventually as part of a package uh, for Robertson. Uh, and I think at this point, Robertson's done well, and uh, the Nats situation has become much more desperate, so uh, they would have to give up at least that much. And I, I do think they were the ones who pulled the plug on that deal uh, at that time. But uh, I think they probably should have gone ahead with it because they've struggled with that closer situation for the first uh, two and a half months of the season and will continue to struggle until they get somebody. And um, that's really the best guy for them to get in terms of not having to give up a huge, huge prospect because he does make a, a very good salary, and uh, White Sox probably would offset some of that, but uh, that's the guy. There are other guys that will be out there at some point, and uh, you know, at this point it's uh, a little bit of a floating list. Uh, I, I think eventually uh, Kelvin Herrera has a decent chance to be out there on the trade market. He isn't out there officially yet. I think Kansas City's still trying to win. Uh, things are pretty wide open in the Central and in the American League in general. So uh, no clear picture on that. We're going to see on Mark Melanson. Obviously, the Giants uh, do not look like a contender this year. They signed him to a big deal, gave him a big bonus. So that would make things interesting in terms of a trade. But he could well be out there. And then you have uh, other guys, A.J. Ramos with the Marlins. We will see what the Marlins wind up doing. It's going to be an interesting situation because they're trying to sell the whole team, not just uh, players here and there. So that could affect things. And, um, you know, there are a lot of other potential possibilities uh, who could close games for teams. Wilson, who's done a nice job with the uh, Tigers, is another possibility. It's a, a long list, but it's kind of a... Uh, list that's uh, changing daily in terms of who we expect to be out there. The one name that's been solid and will be out there is David Robertson with the White Sox. Yeah, like you said, we've been hearing about that since since the off season. So it's a lot of closers that could go on the market. But who are some of the other buyers? That the Nationals are the obvious one, but who else might be might be shopping for a closer? Well, you know, anybody can try to get a great reliever, even a closer, and uh, add to their bullpen and improve their uh, bullpen situation. Um, we will uh, obviously see what goes on with the Mets. Uh, they've lost Familia. We're not sure if it's for the entire year. Um, 
if they do think that Familia is not coming back and um, uh, they do remain in the race. So there are a lot of caveats here. The Mets are a possibility to join their uh, rival Nats as somebody looking for a closer. Uh, but, uh, you know, it just depends on injuries. It depends on what teams want to pay. But uh, a closer can help any team because he could, even if you have a closer, he could become a, a setup man uh, for your team. So uh, that could be a long list of teams as well. And every almost every team will be looking to enhance their pen. Nobody's got a perfect pen. Obviously, the Indians... Uh, have been the best so far, uh, but uh, every team can improve on the pen. Yeah, and absolutely. We, we saw that a lot last year, too, with uh, actually the last couple of years with teams fortifying the pen, bringing closers in to do to take, do a non-closers job. Uh, now, you mentioned the Marlins. Uh, they dropped their last two games uh, in, in sort of heartbreaking fashion over the weekend. So you also mentioned the potential sale of the team. But do you think there are any closer any closer, I should say, uh, to selling <laughs> off some of their yeah, – they try to make that transition from closer talk. Uh, are they any closer to uh, selling off uh, some of the rumored uh, pieces, uh, Yelich, uh, Ozuna, Real Muto uh, in particular, or maybe even Giancarlo Stanton? Yeah, you know, I think the, the thing that's foremost on the ownership mind right now is selling the team. So it, it, I think that that complicates uh, matters in terms of trading off pieces because you want to do – what the incoming owner or potential incoming owner wants to have done. And we're going to see who that might be. The favorites have been the Jeter team and the Romney Glavin team to buy that team. But I'm hearing there are other, at least one other uh, entity involved in that sale. Uh, they're suggesting that uh, they're optimistic to have something done by the end of July with somebody. Uh, I'm not so sure that's going to happen, but uh, I, I think they're in touch with these uh, groups, uh, and I don't think we're to the stage yet where uh, they're close on anything and running it by the groups, but uh, they certainly will have a say. Whoever's going to get that team is not going to want to have any surprises, and let's say Stanton's traded. Well, you know what? We wanted Stanton, so I don't think that's going to go on, uh, but I do believe that uh, many of the in- incoming groups or the the general thought for an incoming group would be likely to want to pare that payroll down. This is the highest payroll they've ever had. The team is still under 500, although it's played a little bit better lately. Uh, I think more likely than not, uh, while Stanton is a terrific player and uh, very popular, I think they might want to look at potentially trading him uh, with $290 million plus to go after this year. That's a lot of money. Uh, for a team with the, the revenues of the Marlins, it's really not sustainable uh, going forward unless they can bump up those revenues somehow and they've got the uh, local TV deal for another few years. So it's a very complicated situation, but, I mean, Stanton uh, or the other guys who are probably what we would say overpriced or high-priced anyway would be the guys that they would l- look at trading. Uh, that would include Prado when he comes off the DL, D. Gordon if it's possible, second base. Uh, he might be difficult to trade. Uh, I think Wei-Yin Chen is not going to be uh, able to be traded. He's hurt at the moment and has a very high price tag with a backloaded deal. So it's very complicated right now who exactly they can trade. I do not see them trading off uh, unless it's in conjunction with a, a high-priced or overpriced contract. 
there'd be really no impetus for them to trade Real Muto and Yelich and, and people like that who are, shall we say, underpriced, uh, undervalued in terms of their contract. So uh, I, I don't see a trade, let's say Real Muto goes to somebody for somebody. I could see potentially, and this is a little bit speculative, Real Muto included to help trade a big piece like a Stanton or whomever off that that wouldn't can't be ruled out. I don't know if the Marlins would do that, and it might be somewhat of a long shot. But to just trade Real Muto, there's would be no point to some that because his contract is not that high. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, makes a lot of sense, and that would be one heck of a blockbuster to be sure. Uh, now the Red Sox they've traded off a lot of prospects uh, in the past uh, year or two. Uh, but they've got uh, sort of a hole over there at third base. Uh, do you think that they will uh, make a move in the next month and a half to, to try to address that? I do think so. I mean, they may give uh, Sandoval a little more chance, but uh, things do not look good right now for him. Unfortunately, Holt is out with the vertigo. Um, they lost Marco Hernandez to a season-ending surgery, and he, he was playing very well. Uh, right now, the options are to get Sandoval playing much better than he has been playing, or to go with Marrero, who's a good defender, but I will not provide too much offensively. So um, I, I think that they will look at it pretty seriously, and there are going to be options out there. Uh, we'll see about the Royals. Now, they haven't become a seller yet, but I think Mike Moustakis is a guy that would make sense clearly for the Red Sox. Another guy would be Todd Frazier. I think uh, the White Sox would have to allay that contract a little bit. Uh, he's making $12 million this year, hasn't produced to that rate probably uh, to this point. But he's a guy who would be a solid guy who's a decent defender, good in the clubhouse, got some power, might look good at uh, Fenway. <clears throat> Same holds true for Moustakis. Uh, those are the bigger names. But there are other guys out there who could just fill a need and do a good job. Uh, Howie Kendrick, maybe if Prado gets healthy, that would be a guy the Marlins could trade. That's a guy with a, a big contract that would – probably uh, make the new owners, if there will be new owners, feel better about the situation. And, and um, I mean, there are three or four other potential guys who could play third base. But the big names, I think, are Moustakas and Frazier. Okay. And one last question for you, John. When are we going to see Ahmed Rosario? <laughs> you may not uh, I think have that's that answer. I think question. If it was up to me, he'd be up there now. If it was up to the fans, he'd be up there now. I'm not quite sure why he's not. They were past the... Super 2, as we saw the Brewer prospects come up, and we've seen a lot of great young players come up, and uh, they're all ready to go, but uh, the Mets say that if they call him up, they want to be sure he's going to be staying. To me, uh, Reyes is, is not a starting shortstop anymore. He hasn't hit enough to keep him in that position. Uh, I, to me, if you call up Rosario, he stays, and he plays, and so that's why I would just call him up. So, But beyond that, they're they they haven't seem inclined to do that. Uh, we'll see if there's the public relations pressure will get to them, or they'll finally decide. Okay, we're bringing him up. But the scouts I've spoken who says he say that he is ready. All right. Well, and uh, John, uh, before I send you off here, we just got some breaking news here. Glaber Torres towards UCL and might need Tommy John, and he is uh, definitely out for the year. So, uh, uh, any uh, thoughts there on uh, on the Glaber Torres situation? That's too bad. Uh, terrific young talent. Um, looked like an option uh, potentially this year at third base for the Yanks if uh, Chase Headley didn't uh, start playing a little better. And he, and he has, but uh, uh, the Yankees could look at third base too, uh, in addition to the Red Sox, uh, potentially if uh, Headley doesn't play better. But uh, Torres is going to be a star. He's very young. 
it's a minor setback for a position player, uh, but uh, it's unfortunate that uh, this is the case for him. Yeah, yeah, no, really, really bad news. Well, John, thank you so much for taking the time to join us uh, today, and, and thanks for all the, the news and updates and insight. And uh, you know, always great to have you on the show, so thanks for dropping by. All right, Al, great talking to you. All right, excellent, John. So uh, we'll stick with those folks. We'll be right back after a short break. Got some pitching performances to break down, so stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And many, many thanks to FanRag Sports' John Heyman for uh, joining us for that last segment. And uh, in case you weren't here for that segment, uh, not only you missed hearing from John, but uh, may not have heard the news that uh, Glaber Torres has torn his UCL. And uh, this, according to Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, he will, in fact, undergo Tommy John surgery and he is out for the rest of the season. So um, I know that Torres was very popular, uh, not only in Dynasty Leagues, but a lot of people stashing him, one of probably the, the more stashed prospects. Uh, so and uh, certainly in seasonal leagues, uh, you can use that spot for somebody else. But in the Dynasty formats, of course, it's going to be worth the wait for, for Torres, but very, very disappointing news uh, for, for Glaber Torres. Uh, also, another piece of news just coming in, J.J. Hardy has fractured his wrist and is going to be out for four to six weeks uh, for the Orioles. So uh, another piece of news there. But let's uh, I want to move right on to uh, reviewing some of the pitching performances from Sunday uh, and make room to uh, answer your lineup questions, because I got quite a few of those. I want to try to answer every single one. Uh, so to it we go. And uh, Jacob Feria with another superb start. And this at Detroit. And in the uh, Sunday streamers column, I think I undersold Feria a little bit. Definitely oversold Buck Farmer, who had a, a horrible performance against the Rays and was subsequently demoted back to AAA Toledo. But uh, Feria was was fantastic. Seven innings, just one run on six hits and a walk with nine strikeouts against uh, a Tigers team that I noted in the Sunday Streamers piece that, uh, you know, they hit for a lot of power against righties. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's a good it's a good lineup. So um, that uh, is, is a very good uh, test for, for Feria, to be sure. Uh, so uh, he's not the only Jacob that had a really nice start. Jacob deGrom. Went eight innings and allowed only one run, but it was an unearned run. And he only allowed three hits and two walks, struck out six against the Nationals. So really, really tough opponent. And yes, they're without uh, Jason Worth, but uh, still a very, very good lineup. And not only did DeGrom have a spectacular start on the mound, but uh, he homered. So a great all-around game for Jacob DeGrom. In fact, really the only blemish where there was the four steals by uh, by Trey Turner and uh, Degrom didn't even allow a single extra base hit. So basically, the Nationals were really strapped to try to find some way to manufacture some offense. But uh, Degrom definitely looked like a pitcher who was due for for some better starts, and and you can't really do much better than no earned runs over eight innings against arguably the best offense in the major leagues and the Nationals. So 
great, great start for Jacob deGrom. Let's continue the trend here. A couple of Jacobs, and, and how about a Jay? Jay Happ, six and two-thirds innings uh, with three runs allowed on eight hits and no walks and nine big strikeouts against the White Sox, who have really been fantastic against left-handed starters. So just like we talked about uh, the the Nationals, being really good, well, against righties, lefties, doesn't matter. Really, really tough matchup for any pitcher. The White Sox have been a very tough matchup for lefties, and Jay Happ absolutely aced it. So that's a great sign for him as he has struggled a bit this year. And let's stick with the Jays. Jay for Jimmy, Jimmy Nelson. And uh, yeah, I've managed, there were so many good pitching performances that I managed to bury his performance, a complete game uh, performance against the Padres with just one run allowed. Six hits, two walks with 10 strikeouts, and the one run was that he allowed was an unearned run. So maybe the best performance of all. Was against the Padres, so we tend to, I say we, shouldn't say we, I discount. I, I think I'm not alone, but I, I discount uh, starts to some degree against the Padres because they're such a big strikeout team, not a lot of power there. There there are some weapons there that can hurt you, but uh We've seen some sort of mediocre pitchers put up really stunning stat lines against the Padres. So Jimmy Nelson, who's generally been going very well this season, not too surprising to see him come away. But nonetheless, when you have a great matchup and you take advantage of it, the pitcher deserves some credit. Ty Block at Colorado. Now, this line in isolation doesn't seem like anything really special until you consider that the pitcher we're talking about is Ty Block, who's had these really Jekyll and Hyde splits, home versus road, and sort of like we talk about how the Padres have have inflated the stats for certain opposing pitchers. AT and T Park has been a boon for pretty much everybody in that rotation, and maybe nobody more so than Ty Block. But at Colorado, the complete antithesis of everything that AT and T Park is: <laughs> six and two thirds innings with just three runs allowed. So a quality start at Coors Field with seven hits and two walks and five strikeouts. The five strikeouts, it's it's not a huge total over six and two-thirds, but Block being one of the more contact-friendly pitchers in the majors, that's a pretty impressive line when you put in the context of his home road splits and where he pitched this game and the team against he threw this game. Very encouraging start for Ty Block. Also a very encouraging start for Ben Lively, who I think very, very quietly because he's, practically unowned uh in in any you know on any major site he he's four for four in quality starts now uh this against the diamondbacks again pretty good pretty tough matchup ben lively six innings three runs on eight hits and a walk with six strikeouts and the six strikeouts caught my eye because i think that i thought of ben lively as sort of an antonio senzatella type that he he just pounds the strike zone uh, but he's pretty contact friendly, and there's a lot of fly balls. So you know he he's the sort of guy who you know maybe a better comparison would actually be Ivan Nova. He could go six or seven innings very consistently, but he's probably not going to get a whole lot of strikeouts. And there are times where he could really get lit up. But um, again, four for four in quality starts, and and in this game with a strikeout per inning over his last two starts, he has a nine percent whiff rate, which is just average. But again, given Lively's track record, average is a big upgrade. And that, that if he can remain there, that puts him in a whole different discussion. That does put him in the Avon 
Nova category of somebody who's who could have a lot of value in points leagues. Um, so that that Ben Lively is, is somebody to put on your watch list for sure. And then I'll end this segment on a down note. Lance Lynn at Baltimore, just four and two thirds innings, allows four home runs for a total of seven runs on nine hits and two walks. Does get five strikeouts, uh, but that zooms his ERA up to three point three three. So still, even with the the very bad start, uh, a still a pretty good ERA, a three point three three. But bear in mind that that ERA is supported by an eighty six percent strand rate which is exceedingly high, and a 218 BABIP, which is exceedingly low, and, and neither seems particularly sustainable. And on the road, Lynn, this is not really uh, an outlier for him. He's allowed a 478 slugging percentage on the road. So that's just a little bit of a red flag of caution there for Lance Lynn going forward, especially away from St. Louis. So on that note, uh, not a whole lot of time left of the show. Like I said, I'm going to attempt to get to all of your line of questions. I may have to do this in, in rapid fire form, uh, but uh, I'll you know, do what I can here. So appreciate again, everybody, you know, answering the call to, uh, to uh, send me their, their lineup questions. So here we go. Uh, we got riding. This is at George Brown, STL riding low moat first base. Stanton Cespedes, Conforto Cruz at outfield uh, designated hitter to Piscotti. Pujols or Santana, best any of them out in a 14-team points league? And I would have to say absolutely not for any of that. Santana's the closest, but I like all those options better than Santana. This from at Real9Fantasy. Puig, Josh Bell, or Hanley this week in a points league? Uh, I would definitely stay away from Hanley. I'll give the, the edge to Puig, who's been showing some nice power. And I know Bell is somebody who typically profiles better in a points league. But uh, I'll give the edge to, to Yasiel Puig uh, on that one. Uh, next one from at Griffin, I'm sorry, at Griffin Art 860 Trey Mancini or Matt Holiday? I've been getting a lot of Trey Mancini questions the last day or two. Of course, he's red hot, so why not? But I actually, it's funny. I, I, I like Mancini a lot this week, but the, a lot of the options I'm getting, the alternatives, I like better. And this one too. Matt Holiday, the Yankees have six home games. Holiday has been really great at Yankee Stadium, as you would expect he would. So I would go Holiday over Mancini. A lot more questions to get to, so stick around. Be right back. Try to answer them all. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, for this last segment, a lot more of your lineup questions to get to, sit, start dilemmas and, and the sort. So uh, I'm going to get right to it. And the next one on the list is from at first base 987 asking, who should I prioritize picking up for both short and long-term gains? This is a 14-team keeper league, Ben Gamble, uh, Tapia or uh, Brinson. And, uh, yeah, actually, to me, that's a very clear choice. Brinson, 
Uh, I mean, Gamble's had a nice run with the Mariners. He's uh, going to get dropped down in the lineup when uh, Gene Segura gets back. So uh, the run scoring for him should really go down considerably. Uh, Ryan Altapia, I'm not sure how much of a role he's going to have long-term. Brinson's one of the top prospects in baseball. So uh, to me, that's that's a clear one, uh, Brinson. Moving on to question from at MikeyVito16. He's got one pitching spot among three choices here. Uh, Ferrier versus Baltimore, Lackey at Miami, Bauer versus Minnesota. Again, I think it's an easy choice. I'd go with uh, Jacob Ferrier against the Orioles. He's just, uh, in terms of upside, in a whole different category than Lackey or Bauer. Here's a good one, uh, and this is not the first time I've been asked this today. This is at Hawks underscore boom, godly at Colorado, question mark. <laughs> uh, this is about as borderline as it gets with uh, trying to figure out to start somebody at Coors Field. I'm leaning yes on this one, and what's helping me do that is that Godley had to start a couple, actually I think now about three weeks ago, at the Brewers, and Miller Park is actually graded out as about as tough a, a venue as the as uh, Coors Field, and Godley had a great start there against the Brewers, who are also a very good lineup, I think not quite as good as the Rockies, but um, so I'll say yes. Uh, it depends on what your alternatives are, but in, in the proverbial vacuum, I'd say yes to Godley at Colorado. Uh, NFL or NF underscore L junkie. Two questions uh, for two different leagues. Uh, Fish, Fisher versus Handiger in one league and Fisher versus Domingo Santana in another. And this is really goes based for me. The tiebreaker is playing time. So I, I think Handiger, first of all, he's got the similar sort of profile of across the board production. So I'd go Handiger over Fisher, but I Fisher versus Santana. Uh, not clear how much playing time San, Santana's going to get with Brinson around and, and a very crowded outfield situation there. So I think I would uh, lean towards Fisher there. Uh, but very, very close. And again, sort of a similar profile with those two. Uh, this it comes from atjam061200. Two-start Jordan Zimmerman or one-start Jimmy Nelson? Man, that's, that's a tough one, too. Jordan Zimmerman, very quietly improving this season. I'm going to write a hit about him in the waiver wire column for later today. So check that out if you will, but uh, I'll go with Jimmy Nelson there. I just trust him more with the one start. Okay. This is from at juice newt 068 pick three outfielders for this week. The options are Bautista, Jose Ramirez, David Peralta, Michael Conforto and Andrew McCutcheon. So uh, tough not to start Jose Ramirez the way he's going. I would go Conforto for sure. Bautista McCutcheon. I'm sorry, David Peralta, you're out. But uh, I think I'll go Joey Bats there. So there's your three. And uh, definitely making this one uh, uh, tight here. Try to answer these last two. Uh, at WarFSU29, Holiday or Carlos Gomez in the points league. Matt Holiday, easily there. And then last one. Uh, I'm not going to read the name of the... Uh, <laughs> the handle here. Uh, but uh, Oduble Herrera or Gregory Polanco? Polanco's been cold. Herrera's been hot. I'll go with the hot hander. Oduble Herrera. Got it. Did them all. Uh, hope that helps you all. Hope that helps some people who didn't send in questions. So uh, on that note, folks, thanks for listening. Thanks again to John Heyman for dropping in. We will be back on Thursday. So look forward to seeing you then. Good luck this week in week 12. <laughs>